So we're coming to the end of a mini-series that you have been doing here in the church in Oxford from the Beatitudes. That is, those that declare, that Jesus declared, would be blessed by him. And here is the final Beatitude that we are looking at, the final blessing that Jesus issues, uh, which is quite a surprising one. And it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I wondered about the coincidence of us reading this passage today and Graham and Helen going out to Italy, whether there was some coincidence, whether, whether the leaders here were trying to say something to them, give them some sort of you know, uh, secret message or something, but I guess it's just accident. Most of us probably instinctively avoid trouble if we can, apart from the very awkward ones amongst us, or the masochists amongst us, most of us try and get along with people, uh, live comfortably with people, and we like to be liked, by and large. But actually, trouble, persecution, and suffering are several times prophesied as part of the Christian's life. Followers of Jesus somehow hit trouble of one sort or another. And actually, I have to say, as I was preparing for this morning during this week, I was surprised how many times in the New Testament Christians are promised trouble. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul says to the Thessalonian Christians, he says... We kept telling you that we'd be persecuted. Now you entered all sorts of trouble. Well, that's what we warned you about. And Paul says to his spiritual son, Timothy, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's good news for today, isn't it? When we've been talking about receiving the grace of God and the love of God and the help of God. Well, trouble's on the way as well. Actually, the Apostle John says at the beginning of the book of Revelation, he says, I, John, 
your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. In other words, he says, here's the three things that we enjoy as followers of Jesus. Suffering, <laughs> thanks a bunch. Kingdom, that's what we love. And patient endurance. In other words, we face difficulty and trouble because we're swimming against the tide in this world. That should not surprise us at all that we hit turbulence because we're swimming against the tide. Sometimes there are times of great sort of kingdom and excitement and we see the power of God and we love those bits. And then other times, it's just about patient endurance, plodding on. Who likes the plodding? Not many of us. But John says that's how it is in the Christian life and Perhaps it helps us just to recognize that. We are in company with millions and millions and millions of Christians all the way around the world, many of whom face quite a bit more trouble than we do, it has to be said. This week in Iran, a retreat center belonging to the Assemblies of God, this retreat center has been a blessing to many, many churches in Iran, has been, it's worth about $2.2 million, has been issued with an evacuation notice. The Christians must leave it. They must stop running uh, that um, retreat center. And it, they have been instructed to pass it to the Islamic religious authority of that region. I think we would be up in arms if that sort of decree was issued against us. That's what brothers and sisters in Iran are facing. In northern Nigeria, Christian children are forced to take Muslim names just to get into school and have an education. In Pakistan, Christian children can expect only to be cleaners and manual laborers because they are denied education and they are raised by their families with that expectation. In Syria, just over the last few weeks, it is Christian areas of the city of Damascus that have been targeted for shelling by the army, largely unreported in the West. This week, Open Doors tell the story of a lady called Samiha, who was injured in the bombing of a Coptic church in Egypt a few months ago. She didn't die like 27 others, but she survived and was left without half of her face. And she said, I would have been willing to die for Jesus. I'd like to tell you about Mama Kwong. I started as a pastor in my uh, mid-twenties and was pastor of a Baptist church in the village of Aston in West Oxfordshire. And right on our doorstep were people who were very involved with Open Doors ministry. 
some of you will have heard of Open Doors Ministry. It was a big Bible smuggling thing years ago, but now it just helps persecuted Christians everywhere and publishes their cases. Um, in our little Baptist church, uh, a number of the full-time workers uh, were members. Uh, and actually, we sold one of our buildings, a building in Stanlake, Stanlake Baptist Chapel, we sold that to Open Doors as their first office. It was just a, a movement that was starting to uh, emerge. And I have to say, I found it a great privilege to meet Brother Andrew back in the mid-70s and, and catch some of his vision and passion for persecuted peoples and for making sure that the Word of God, the Bible, you know, entered many of the nations that, was, that were most resistant. In 1980, a friend of mine called Jeff Chad uh, said to me, he was director of Open Doors at the time, he was part of our church, he said, Steve, he said, I uh, need to go to China on a recce trip, would you like to come with me? I said, yes, I'll pray about that, yes, please. You know, there are some things you don't have to pray about very, very, very long. And so off we went to, um, first of all, stopping in Manila and then Hong Kong for a variety of reasons. In Hong Kong, we emptied our suitcases and filled them with Bibles. Um, because now, now, now Bible smuggling is easy, you understand. It's all done electronically. But, uh, but then we had to carry them in. Um, and so we emptied our suitcases and carried in suitcases full of Bibles and duly delivered them in due course. We had to pass through customs and all the rest of it. We were not found out. And, you know, the grace of God was there. But one night our host said to us, we would like uh, to introduce you to Mama Kwong. This was not her tr true name. Um, but this was uh, the name she went under so that she was, her identity was not disclosed. Mama Kwong was actually the effective leader of a whole network of churches in China at the time and had been during the Cultural Revolution that was roughly from 1968 to 1972, a big, big change, uh, and Christians were... Um, highly pressurized. Most Christian leaders were sent off to labor camps so that the churches uh, could be sort of repressed, dispersed, etc., etc. Um, and uh, Mama Kwong's husband was one of those who ended up in the labor camp. He was a pastor. The authorities did not know that Mama Kwong herself was seminary educated. Uh, and so she made it her business to go around lots of these groups, raising up new leaders. She didn't take a place of sort of oversight and leadership herself. Her mission was simply to train up leaders for each of these small house churches um, and uh, pray that they would flourish. And they saw God do some remarkable things. She told us stories of their worship. They, they engaged in silent singing. They'd say, let's sing number 17. And the one thing they would not allow them to do was to sing in tongues, because they got far too excited when they sang in tongues. It went, you know, into the decibels. They didn't want... And, and there would be words of knowledge at certain points, you know, break up the meeting, Red Guard are on their way, etc., etc. It was a very, very significant time of growth for churches in China. Uh, before the revolution, there were about 20 million. Coming out of the revolution, there were about 100 million Christians in those churches. Very, very significant. Mama Kwong um, was, a, was a special lady. Um, her husband ended up in a labor camp, as I said. 
She and her children were regularly interrogated by the Red Guard, and indeed, in one of those interrogations, her eldest son lost his life. And, and the three children, really, the other three remaining children, were all scarred, really, by this, this process that they went through because of their love for Jesus. Uh, but they stood in these times, and there we had one precious evening as Mama Kwong just told us stories of how the living Lord Jesus uh, stuck by these persecuted Christians, not only stuck by them, but blessed them and protected them and caused them to rejoice in their faith. Very, very special. We got to the end of the evening and she said, I've got a lot more things to tell you. Uh, stories about miraculous provision for Christians and indeed how they shared the word of God together. I mean, they had a few Bibles between, you, between them. They ripped all the pages out and they, uh, you know, if you were in one house group, one, one day you'd have one page of the Bible. The next week you'd have another page of the Bible. Next week you'd have another page of the Bible. This is how they shared the word of God amongst themselves. Anyway, at the end of that evening, she said, I've got so many more stories to tell you. And we said, is there any chance of another evening? <laughs> And actually, she agreed to give us a second evening and told us just more stories of the wonderful blessing of God and provision of God on these persecuted Christians in China. It was a wonderful experience, and I'm grateful for it. But we sang quite a lot today about grace in the midst of hardship. One of the things they experienced over and over and over again was the grace of God that Grace is not just a word. It's not just God making our lives a little bit easier. Grace is a dispensation of the presence and power of God, which enables you and me and empowers you and me to keep going in huge difficulty. And they experienced grace upon grace upon grace. And many of these uh, these stories that she would, she told were about people in hardship experiencing the grace of God. The ability to keep going, to find resilience, a way of keeping going, uh, an experience of Jesus's closeness and of hope and of faith for the church. And she talked about all these things that God was giving to them. I have to say this was a life-changing experience for me, as you may understand, because I said I'm not going to ever complain again about being a Christian in the West. And hopefully we can stand for Jesus like our brothers and sisters uh, stand for Jesus under huge pressure. And it also inspired me to pray regularly for persecuted Christians and still to do so. Um, but, but these experiences are formative, and sometimes I feel that we're just a little wet in the West, um, you know, just a little soft about the way we live life, and finding the grace to be different and to stand up and to stand out is hugely important, and I'm glad of that uh, experience with Mama. Oh, this was the worst part of it. Second evening, she goes on telling the stories, and then she suddenly looks at us and says, we have a very good network of communication in China. What message do you have for the church in China? Because I will make sure it gets out. Well, I don't know if you can imagine that. I froze. I thought, what message could 
I, a weakling Christian from the West, possibly have for this resilient and valiant bunch of people in China? And I, you know, you lift your heart to the Lord, and I think eventually something dribbled out down my chin, you know, as I sort of got, tried to bring some word of encouragement, but it felt, here were we, Jeff and I, um, relative spiritual pygmies by comparison with these giants. And what I saw was they learned more about Christ through the persecution that they faced and through the hardship that they had to endure than I ever knew about walking with Christ. So coming back to what Jesus says to his disciples here, he says, Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. (laughs) Because of righteousness. Let's think about that for a moment. Not because you're arrogantly telling other people what to do, not because you're contentious about certain things that are going on in society around you, people who perhaps bring trouble on themselves because they're too strident or whatever it may be, not the provocative who stir up trouble, but good people. The thing about good people is that good people are not universally popular, are they? Have you ever read books or watched films and there's there's a goodie and a baddie? Who finds it much easier to identify with the baddie than the goodie? Uh, you know, there's just something a little bit pasty about the good person and, you know, graphically sort of gets hold of you about the baddie. No one likes the goodies. And in society, in our society, no one really likes the goodies and... Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for being good. The Clapham sect had this byword. The Clapham sect were people like Wilberforce who, uh, you know, took up cudgels against slavery and that sort of thing, but other causes as well. They said, what we want to do is to make goodness fashionable. Make goodness a la mode. Uh, wouldn't we love to do that, to make goodness fashionable? So, so this is what people love in our world and what inspires people to be different and to, to live excellent lives and so on and so forth. Blessed are you, blessed are you when you're persecuted for goodness, for righteousness. And one of the things that God calls us to do is to speak up on behalf of injustice and against dishonest practices in the world around us. Encouraging care for the oppressed and the defenseless who need to experience the care and the love of Christ. That's the commission of Christ. And to be unashamed, to be different, to be unashamed of speaking on behalf of the rights of others. By the way, There's a whole cult of self-assertion in our world today. Jesus would not have been a member of that club. Jesus basically commended a humble life where you don't fight for your own rights, where you don't fight for your own privileges, where you don't fight for your own blessing, where you're not looking selfishly to... You know, to have as good a life as your neighbor or the next person. The self-assertion thing has been a sort of 
something that has taken hold of our society and probably takes hold of a good many of us, but Jesus would not have been a member of that. But he does encourage that we speak up on behalf of the defenseless and the oppressed and those who really are struggling and suffering. So what does Jesus say are the positive benefits of persecution, difficulty, and trouble? Just, just no, just when you're walking through trouble, you can say, Jesus said, this is good for me. And this is what I'm experiencing now. Well, well, what you do do is you touch the grace of God in a powerful way. Jesus said that you're going to be blessed. This is, <laughs> this is a place of blessing for me, this trouble I'm walking through now. Okay. We're going to experience the grace of God, the goodness of God. We touch the grace of God, which is a positive dispensation of God's presence and power to help us and strengthen us. Hebrews chapter 12 says this is part of God shaping his character in us. He said, actually, it's discipline or training. He says, no one likes it, (laughs) but it's part of the training of God. Some of you know that Lorraine and I are homeless at the moment. We got into a bit of a tangle in the chain of buying and selling that we were involved in, and... It was all a mess. It was a pig's ear from one end to the other sort of thing. And so we're now homeless. And people say, how do you feel about that? I say, well, it's a first world problem. It really is. We've got a daughter who's taken us in. We've now got Lorraine's sister who's taken us in. This is really not a problem at all. You know, it's a minor irritant. And when we have brothers and sisters who experience the hardship that they experience and the pressure that they experience, and we, we are praying daily... Uh, twice a day at least for various friends of ours who are walking through life-threatening illnesses you think I can't I can't fuss about this minor irritant in my life when there are life dealing issues that people are, are sort of dealing with and living with so it puts things in perspective and it's part of the training uh, of God forming his character in us and how do we respond when we hit trouble Well, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. We don't curse them back. We don't defend ourselves like Jesus in his trial was like that lamb before the shearers is dumb. We don't defend ourselves. We live with the audience of one. And we're looking to please Jesus in the attitudes that we have. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, We work hard with our hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. And what does Jesus promise those of us who stand in persecution? I'd like to give you some hope to finish off with. Well, he says to his disciples, Well, great is your reward in heaven. Always seems, you know... Cold comfort, doesn't it? Say, well, well done for sticking through it. You've got a reward in heaven. You you don't always sort of value that entirely. But I would like to say to you, the book of Revelation was written to uh, seven churches who were experiencing immense hardship. And this is what comes as a line that comes at the end of the seven letters to the churches, which goes something like this. To him who is victorious, that means in the persecution, in the hardship, 
And then there are seven things that are promised. First of all, Jesus says, the risen Jesus, I give the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. If you're victorious, you'll not be hurt by the second death. If you're victorious, you will have hidden manna that will feed you as you go. If you're victorious, you will have authority over the nations. If you're victorious, you'll wear white garments before the presence of God, an eternal, an eternal inheritance. If you're victorious, you will be pillars in the temple of God. You'll take your place in the presence of God, and you will have the right to sit down on the throne of God, alongside Jesus Christ. That's a great vision, isn't it? So we will hit trouble now, and it will do us good. And we'll touch the presence of God, and we'll touch the help of God. And he doesn't want us just to complain and lament the trouble we're hitting, but to find the victory of Christ, to draw it down into our lives, and to understand the trouble we're walking through is not the end of the story. It's part of the journey, and the end of the story is great and glorious. So blessed are you when you're persecuted for being salt and light, and goodies for Jesus in this world in which we live. God bless you.